0: Canada, the conspiracy show with Richard Seren. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary stranger. Hang your cloak on a peg. Grab a stool and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Scott Creighton is host of the very popular Alternative Egyptology Forum on AboveTopSecret.com and the author of The Secret Chamber of Osiris and the Giza Prophecy. He has a new book out that really dismantles the official timeline of the construction of the Khufu Pyramid. And he is waiting in the wings on the line from his home in Glasgow uh, to hang out for the hour. And Rosemary Ellen Guiley, paranormal investigator, joins me in Hour 2 of this transmission Uh, Ian Robertson is here on the other side of the glass, Uh, but no Albert uh, this week. So, uh, subsequently, no live stream on YouTube. Uh, The live stream returns next week along with our What's in the Box feature and your chance to win some fabulous Conspiracy Show merchandise. Uh, Visit uh, the online store at theconspiracyshow.com and don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, We've set a goal of 10,000 subs by the end of the year, so... Please help us achieve that. Uh, Despite millennia of fame, the origins of the Great Pyramid of Giza are shrouded in mystery. Believed to be the tomb of an Egyptian king, even though no remains have ever been found, its construction date of roughly 2550 BCE is tied to only one piece of evidence, the crudely painted marks within the pyramid's hidden chambers that refer to the Fourth Dynasty King Khufu discovered in 1837 by Colonel Howard Weiss and his team. Scott Creighton is here to throw all of that evidence into serious question. He's an engineer whose extensive travels have allowed him to explore many of the world's ancient sacred sites. The host of the Alternative Egyptology Forum on AboveTopSecret.com, and his new book is titled The Great Pyramid Hoax, the Conspiracy to Conceal the True History of Ancient Egypt. Scott Creighton, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm very well, Richard. It's uh, good to talk to you. Likewise. And uh, uh, you're in Glasgow, Scotland. What's it like over there tonight? Um,
1: well, it's very dark at the moment. It's just after it's just <laughs> after um, 12... 12 um, uh, well, 12 a.m., uh, yeah, 12 a.m., so it's a the wee small hours here, so um, it's a bit dark, a wee bit cold, but um, I've got a nice big cup of coffee here, so that should
0: Keep me going. Excellent. Well, we appreciate you staying up late and hanging out with us for the next hour. Now, y- you know, it's not surprising uh, that someone with an engineering background, and you are an engineer, that you would have this opportunity to travel and, and, and visit places like uh, the, the pyramids, the great pyramids, the pyramids uh, at Giza. Uh, But I'm wondering how difficult is it for someone... I'm going to say someone on the outside, because the field of Egyptology, it strikes me as being very sort of closed and very cliquish. Uh, uh, There's an established orthodoxy. There is a, a select few that control who gets access to the pyramids, who funds that work and so forth. How difficult was was it for you to break into that field?
1: Well, um, I'm still very much outside of that field to a large extent, um, Richard. Um, basically, I'm running around the, the outskirts of it, finding um, information, gathering information together, piecing it all together to um, build up uh, my own narrative, my own view of um, what these structures were all about. A lot of the times I think it actually requires someone on the outside of a particular discipline to do this because, you know, it's hard for um, people within the discipline to rock the boat, as it were, Um, you know, because they've got their careers to think about. You know, if they rock the boat too much within, you know, the discipline of Egyptology, you know, it can have bad repercussions for their career. And I'm not just saying that. I know that, um, as a matter of fact, I have some Egyptologists friends who have um, told me that that very thing. You know, so um, it's, it's probably actually, in a sense, easier for someone like myself to do this kind of thing because, you know, the the, the people inside Egyptology they really don't want to go there. They've got their, as I said, you know, they've got their careers to think about. If they, you know, See anything that's untoward or that's unconventional goes against the grain you know they, they could be you know next time they go to get a grant a research grant you know that could um you know you know be they just don't get it you know or if they want to um you know try and get a research permit
0: sure. uh, yeah. Tec-
1: somewhere in Egypt. Entire textbooks you
0: know. would have to be wi- uh, rewritten. And as you say, academic careers would be on the line. We see this in across many fields, yeah. but it really does not augur well for scientific pursuit because what the Orthodox Egyptologists are saying is, case closed, uh, the Great Pyramid of Giza, we can affix it to a particular time, historical context, 2550 BCE, the fourth dynasty, and we'll get into that. When anyone in the scientific field, and I don't care what area you're talking about, says case closed, that to me sets up red flags because that is contrary to the whole scientific method.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And as you said, um, Richard, you find this not just in the fields of um, Egyptology, but right across um, the scientific field. You know, they say, you know, they talk about science as if it is, um, you know, the the barometer, you know, for for everything, you know, that is the the gold standard. But, you know, science, you know, it's full of contradictions within itself. You know, take um, like the Sphinx, for example. You've got um, orthodox egyptologists, they say it's about, you know, it's contemporary with the pyramids, so about you know, Giza, four and a half thousand years old. Then you have, have the, like Dr. Robert Shock. He's saying it's not, it's not probably about seven thousand years old. And you know, then you've got these other scientists and um, these Russian scientists who are saying, well, I actually, no, the erosion on the Sphinx um, looks as though it's been caused by um, tidal. Um, energy waves, you know, sea waves, you know, tidal forces on the body of the Sphinx. That's you know, their interpretation of the erosion. But the last time there was a sea covering that part of Egypt was eight hundred thousand years ago.
0: You know, so here you have. <laughs> that's a big problem. That's a big problem.
1: It's a big problem. You know, scientists can't even agree among themselves.
0: Indeed, Scott Creighton is with us, and the book is "The Great Pyramid Hoax: The Conspiracy to Conceal the True History of Ancient Egypt." Now, scientists, Egyptologists, uh, protecting their reputation is one thing, but it's right here in the title of your book, The Great Pyramid Hoax, which obviously suggests uh, that there is something far more nefarious here, and we will get into that, but before we we delve into that and why you question the dating of the construction of the the Great Pyramid of Giza, give us, those of us who haven't been fortunate to be to the the Giza Plateau, give us sort of a a real quick guided tour of, of the plateau.
1: Okay. Well, at Giza, you have um, uh, presently there are nine visible pyramids. There are the three giant pyramids, um, the pyramid of Khufu, Khafre, and Menkaura. And you ha- beside the, the pyramid of Khufu, you've got three smaller pyramids. There's actually a very small one there as well, but it's, or used to be there. It's no longer there. It's you known as a cult pyramid, but we don't really talk about that. You have like three what are called the Queen's Pyramids beside the Great Pyramid of Khufu on the eastern side. The smallest of the three main pyramids at Giza, you have um, another set of three pyramids, or what are called Queen's Pyramids, to the south side of Menkaura's Pyramid. That's the, the smallest of the three largest pyramids at Giza. And also on the eastern side of the plateau, you have the Great Sphinx um, now a lot of the discussion tonight will be about um, the relieving chambers of the Great Pyramid um, where these um, this hoax essentially took place. Now these chambers um, are within the Great Pyramid. Inside the Great Pyramid you have three chambers. There's one below the Great Pyramid, that's known as the subterranean chamber. Then you have um, about 100 feet or so um above the, in the, the body of the pyramid, you have the so-called Queen's Chamber. And then above that, about 200 feet up the pyramid, you have what's known as the King's Chamber. Now, there are small, there's a series of five small chambers above the King's Chamber of the Great Pyramid. These are known as the Relieving Chambers. And they each have um, a specific name. The first one is known as davidson 's chamber above that we have nelson 's cha- uh, sorry wellington 's chamber then nelson 's chamber then lady atbuthnot 's chamber and finally the very top chamber is known as Campbell's Chamber. And these chambers, uh, or four of them, were discovered in 1837 by Colonel Howard Weiss. The very first one, Davidson's Chamber, was opened about 70 years before Weiss
0: was discovered. And they're called relieving chambers because they serve some engineering uh, purpose, right?
1: Well, this is is the theory, Richard, but it's a bit of a strange theory that, you know, these chambers were placed above the King's Chamber to try and deflect... Um, pressure off the the roof of the king's chamber, but the strange thing is that if you look at the queen's chamber, there are no um, relieving chambers above that. You know, um, wow. you just have the uh, the gabled blocks above, straight above the queen's chamber. And there's a lot, and because the queen's chamber is lower down. And the the body of the pyramid that's got a lot more weight above it, right? You know, so it's 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 a contradiction there. You know, this is <laughs> you know scientists engineers can't really figure, well, figure it out.
0: As we will discover, the uh, the piece, the Giza pyramid uh, is a uh, it's a puzzle wrapped in a mystery, uh, dipped in a chocolatey coating. Scott Creighton is with us, and the book is the Great Pyramid Hoax: The Conspiracy to Conceal the History of Ancient Egypt. We're heading into a break, but when we come back. We'll discuss how the, uh, the Pyramid at Giza was dated, how it was placed in this historical context, fourth dynasty of Egypt around 2550 B.C., about 6,000 years ago, as you say. Uh, and then we'll get into the evidence for why you believe, well, why that evidence really collapses under its own weight. And then what is the significance of that? What, is, what does it mean if we can no longer accurately date the Giza Pyramid, or the Khufu uh, Pyramid, as it's also known, to 2550 BCE. We'll come back. More of my conversation with Scott. Stay with us right here on The Conspiracy Show. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We are back with Scott Creighton. He's an engineer uh, with extensive travels which have allowed him to explore Many of the world's ancient secret sites and he's also the host of the alternative Egyptology Forum on AboveTopsecret.com, very, very popular website, and uh the author of other books including The Secret Chamber of Osiris and co author of the Giza Prophecy. He joins us from Scotland. His latest is the Great Pyramid Hoax. Now, um, why or how was the the um, the date of 2550 BCE, affixed to the construction of the Giza Pyramid.
1: Okay, Richard. What we have to um, um, remember here is that um, Herodotus, the the Greek historian Herodotus, who lived about uh, 2,500 years ago, he mentioned in his writings that the Great Pyramid was um, built by um, Cheops, which um, Egyptologists and linguists have been
0: able to later transliterate into the Egyptian form of Khufu. Yeah, that's okay. the confusing part because a lot of these uh, pharaohs had at least four or five names.
1: That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and not only that, but you know, you have um, that the, there's like two Greek names. You know, um, Herodotus calls him um, uh, Cheops, and Manetho calls him Sufis. You know, so there's there's, there's just all this. <laughs> But they all mean, they
0: all meant uh, Khufu. Yeah, they all meant Khufu. Well, you mentioned Herod- You all mentioned you mentioned Herodotus, and then if he believes the pyramid was constructed in 2550, because he was practically a contemporary.
1: Well, no. Um, Herodotus was writing two thousand years oh, after. Oh, two thousand.
0: My apologies. Five hundred BC. You're right. Okay, so two thousand yeah, years two and after. Yeah, two and
1: a half thousand years ago. Yeah, five hundred BC. Got it. Right. Uh, Herodotus was writing, and you know, Herodotus is known as um, the the father of history, but some some people call him the father of lies. You know, <laughs> <laughs>
0: so the, we have to be careful. My wife is is listening, and she's Greek. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I suppose they had they had fake news even back then. You know,
0: right. So. <laughs> yes, indeed. Nothing you has know, changed.
1: You know, so it's like Herodotus was, but he was writing 2,000 years after um, the pyramid. So we don't really know um, from Herodotus' writings um, exactly what was going on 2,000 years allegedly before his time, right. whether this Khufu was actually just repairing the Great Pyramid, because there's some good evidence, like from the inventory stellar, which tells us Khufu was repairing a lot of. Um, you know, monuments and, and structures at Giza. Ah, you
0: know, so okay.
1: the Great Pyramid could very well have been one of those structures that Khufu was actually repairing,
0: Being repaired. not actually building. Ah, but another historian, Josephus, also believed it was built in that time.
1: Um, well, this uh, Josephus, is, is um, uh, he's he's taking, he's building basically on the, the, the writings of Manitho, Um, You know, so they're all basically kind of, um, you know, taking... Um, you know, writing from, from each other, essentially.
0: Right. So it becomes um, a house of cards. One, yeah.
1: That's one, right. They're one, they're all uh, calling,
0: one lie built whatever. on the other. One
1: lie built yeah, upon just, the other. Yeah. That's right. You know, so, um, because Egyptologists were able to, uh, they knew roughly when this guy Khufu lived. It was 2500 BC, four and a half thousand years ago. So because, um, you know, they weren't sure. Um, for definite if um, Khufu was the builder of this pyramid. It was, it was more really sort of circumstantial evidence based on the writings of Herodotus and so forth. But then, in 1837, Colonel Weiss opens up these sealed chambers, these hidden sealed chambers within the Great Pyramid that hadn't been opened in 4,500 years. Right. Okay? Yeah, he, he, found... blasted,
0: he blasted in there with dynamite. Imagine someone trying to do that today.
1: Well, it was gunpowder. Ah, yeah, gun Dynamite okay. was invented later, I think, okay. but it was gunpowder. Yeah, he blasted his way into this structure with um, gunpowder and, um, you know, supposedly found the cartouche of Khufu in these chambers painted onto the wall with rough red ochre paint.
0: Right. We need to talk the- about uh, hi- how hieroglyphics are formed and, and what a cartouche is, that oval shape yeah. around the hieroglyphics. So talk to me about what a cartouche is well a cartouche is um,
1: basically if you imagine a, a, a bullet cartridge yeah that's it, it's cartouche is from the French um, cartridge ah. which is um, you know a bullet or shell of a, of a bullet that's the kind of shape of a, a cartouche and inside it's a distinctive shape and the signs the hieroglyphic signs inside this um, cartouche shape always represent the name of the king. So the cartouche, when you see a cartouche, you know that's a king's name.
0: Almost like okay? a royal seal or a coat of arms.
1: Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Exactly that. You know, So when you see the cartouche, you know what you're dealing with. You're dealing with the name of a king. And um, Howard Weiss allegedly found these cartouches inside
0: um, these relieving chambers of the Great Pyramid. Now, let me just, let me just stop you there, because if we go back uh, maybe a decade and a half earlier then than uh, Howard Weiss, because you mentioned the colonel blasted his way into the chamber at uh, the Great Pyramid of Giza in 1837, and it was only in the 1820s that they kind of figured out how these hieroglyphics worked, period, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, it was um, uh, Champollion, the the, uh, French um, um, philologist- um, Jean Francois Champollion, he um, cracked the hieroglyphic code. Um, I think, yeah, about the 1820s, about 15 years before Weiss went to to Egypt. Um, you know, so you know, we're we're talking about a, a time that's you know it was very early in the understanding of the ancient Egyptian language. But the thing is, um, the cartouche of Khufu um, was actually known before Vice went to Egypt, and that's crucial um, for, for this forgery to have taken place. Um, the cartouche had been published w- with, you know, the, the name um, below the cartouche, Khufu or Sufis, yep. and so Vice could very well have seen this and known what cartouche to
0: put in these chambers. And and the um, the royal seal, if you will, or the cartouche of of, of the pharaoh Khufu, what what uh, what symbols uh, were involved?
1: Well, there well there are four um, symbols which make up um, well five if you include the cartouche itself. There are four symbols. You have a circle with um, some dashed lines. Um, then you have a, a bird, then a snake or a viper, and then another bird. You know, so and um, the circle um, represents K or KH it is um, no like um, CH um, as in like um, Loch you know we say Loch in Scotland right, the CH right. it's actually pronounced as in Loch so it's actually Khufu as opposed to Kufu but most people just say Kufu um, the bird represents the letter U the viper or the snake represents F
0: and the other bird is the other U so that represents Khufu okay so when Colonel Vice uh, Blasts his way into the chamber, finds this cartouche bearing the the name of Khufu or Cheops, as the Greeks call him. Uh, that was just further corroborating evidence of what Herodotus and Josephus and and others had said all along, that the Great Pyramid was built by K-Kir-Fu, Khufu in the Fourth Dynasty, around 2550 BC. Case closed.
1: Yeah, because Egyptologists knew when Khufu lived. This. Cartouche was allegedly found in this sealed chamber ergo you know by extension the pyramid was built you know two thousand five hundred and fifty b c
0: case closed right, and further uh the belief was that the pyramid uh, was built as a burial primarily as a burial chamber for the pharaoh correct
1: yeah that that um was the, 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 belief, um, in Vice's time and obviously right up until the, until the present day. But even in Vice's time, there were still people questioning, you know, whether they were built as tombs or not or as something else. But the, you know, there's other narratives which have come down to us which suggest that there weren't tombs, but there were something else altogether. I don't know if we have time to get into that, but, you know, um, there, there were other, um, you know stories and legends about what the pyramids were originally built as
0: and the, sort of no, us. No remains of, of Pharaoh Khufu were ever found I mean, these, these tombs would have been raided by Tomb Raiders long before Vice came on the scene
1: Well, that's the conventional narrative, Richard that, you know, the, the reason that the mummy-fied body of Khufu or any ancient Egyptian king was never found was because you know, the tomb raiders came along and um, you know raided their tombs. But, you know, it's it's a crazy thing indeed, you know, of the king's body. The king's body was the most important thing, the most precious thing. It had to be protected at all costs in ancient Egyptian religion because the king had to commune with the gods to make sure the Nile flooded, the crops grew, etc., etc. So protecting the king's body was paramount to the ancient Egyptian religion. So ask yourself the question... Why would they then go and build the most massive advert to where the king's body was, you know, that's ever been built in in humanity? You know, this this pyramid is nearly 500 feet tall. You know, it's like an advert to every tomb raider in the land. Here it is, guys, come and get the booty.
0: Right, right. I mean, has, uh, just a slight side road here, but has, have the remains of any pharaoh, whether we're talking Tutankhamun or Ramses, have any of them ever been located inside a a king's chamber in a pyramid? No. Never. Tutankhamun um, is
1: the only in situ um, king that has ever been found. But he's, his body was found in the Valley of the Kings, in a, a shaft tomb that was buried deep into the mountainside in the Valley of the Kings. It's not in a pyramid. He's the only one that's ever been found, a uh, king's body in situ, in its you know original in situ state, undisturbed state. No bodies of any kings have been found in any of these pyramids.
0: All right, so here it is, the, your um, a theory that this cartouche found stamped inside one of these chambers by Vice, Colonel Vice in 1837, bearing the name of Khufu, was a forgery. Now, yeah. others had before you, uh, most notably, of course, Zachariah Sitchin, who's very familiar to people uh, listening to this program, almost 40 years ago uh, or maybe about, uh, maybe more more than 40 years ago in the Stairway to Heaven was making a similar claim. Talk to me about what Sitchin was saying about this cartouche.
1: Okay and um, this was, uh, I think it was his, uh, you're right, uh, his Stairway to Heaven which was 1980, so that's what, about 37 years ago um, Sitchin essentially claimed that the marks that Colonel Weiss claimed to have discovered in these chambers were forgeries. Um, now, this th- this claim only formed a very small and minor part of Sitchin's broader work. Um, Sitchin didn't have access to the kind of um, information that I have access to today, um, or you know, he didn't have the means to to, to present any of this new evidence that, that I've uncovered recently. But you know, Sitchin did raised some valid points in his um, um, research. The first thing he raised was that Davison's chamber, this is the very first of these relieving chambers. That chamber had already been opened for about 70 years before Vice went to Egypt. But the, the interesting thing here, Richard, is that when you go into Davison's chamber, there are none of these painted marks anywhere to be found. And that chamber and this chamber remember it's a relieving chamber and it's identical to all the other four chambers above it okay no marks were found whatsoever the only painted marks were found only in the chambers that vice blasted his way into which and these are the only marks found in any pyramid you know you know these these early old kingdom
0: pyramids, so the, so, the giant pyramids so these quarry marks as they're known uh, you would expect that if it if that was standard procedure Something like a quarry mark, you know, you buy a painting, the artist's name is on it and so forth, or if you buy a piece of pottery, the manufacturer's on the bottom. You would expect, yep. if there are quarry marks, uh, in the Giza pyramid, you would find quarry marks in different chambers and in, and, and in most other pyramids, but we do not. Alright, we'll, um, we'll take a time out, uh, Scott, when we get back, we will, uh, dive deep into your evidence that the cartouche discovered by Colonel Weiss, which time stamps The Pyramid of Giza at 2550 BCE is a forgery, throwing the dating of the pyramid wide open. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Keeping an eye on the New World Order, this is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We are back with Scott Creighton, engineer and also the host of the Alternative Egyptology Forum on AboveTopSecret.com. And his latest is The Great Pyramid Hoax, The Conspiracy to Conceal the History of Ancient Egypt. So, have you been into the King's Chamber? Have you seen the cartouche for yourself? Scott?
1: I've been inside the King's Chamber, Richard, but unfortunately I did not have permission to get into the relieving chambers above the King's Chamber where these marks are. You really, really need a um, real difficult permit to get into these upper chambers, and it's a very, very difficult journey <laughs> through the narrow shaft that Vice made.
0: That's curious. You uh, would think that you know the King's Chamber would be sort of the Holy of Holies, and you would think it would be more difficult to get in there, and yet these relieving chambers where these cartouches are stamped, that is more difficult to gain access to. I don't know, uh, maybe I'm paranoid, it sounds suspicious to me. (laughs) Well, no, it's really more,
1: um, when I say difficult, I'm talking more about its physical location within the pyramid. You need a ladder from the bottom of the King's Chamber, you need a ladder that's about 25 feet tall, you know, just to get access to Davison's Chamber. You know, it's a very precarious journey, Ah. it's quite a dangerous journey.
0: So let's talk about, for you, this cartouche, it's a forgery. Why do you believe that?
1: For a number of reasons. Obviously, all all the evidence is presented in the book. But let me just give you um, one example. Colonel Weiss published his official account, but he also had a private journal, his handwritten field notes of his time when he was at Giza. And he used those field notes to write his final published account of his operations at Giza. The final account was published in 1840. But his field notes are dated to 1837. Now, when you read Colonel Weiss's published account, he tells us consistently throughout it that he desired to make an important discovery. He wanted to find a cartouche specifically that would help date the pyramids. That's in his published account. Now, when you go to look at his private journal, as I did, I managed to track his private journal, his handwritten notes. They're located in a small archive library in the north of London. I found these, and I was reading through them. I managed to find the first chamber that Colonel Weiss entered was Wellington's chamber. This was the first chamber that he managed to blast his way into with gunpowder. Now, when he visited this chamber on two occasions, on the second occasion, he writes in his private notes that there was nothing in the chamber that looked like hieroglyphics. Now, when Vice uses the term hieroglyphics, he's talking about these quarry marks. Right. And these are the marks that the gangs would paint their gang name their crew name onto their block that they, cut. they took pride in these and they made sure that their gang name was stamped on these blocks or painted onto these blocks. So vice tells us there was nothing in this chamber, Wellington's chamber, that looked like that. And then three years later we find in his published account of the very same night, Richard, the very same night, remember this guy's wanting to find a cartouche, he writes in his published book, on this night we found the quarry marks.
0: In Wellington's chamber.
1: In Wellington's chamber. The same, same chamber
0: night. that he said he found nothing in earlier.
1: Yes. And his private notes, his private thoughts of his time at Giza, so we know that's authentic, that's his real thoughts. He found nothing. And then in his published book, he says he found the quarry marks. And then when you go and look to see, well, what quarry marks had he found, he got... One of his assistants to basically copy the quarry marks that were allegedly painted in these chambers. When you go and look at the quarry marks from Wellington's chamber, what do you find? A cartouche. And that's the very thing Vice wanted to find. And the remarkable thing is, in his private notes, there's not a single mention of him finding a cartouche. And that was the very thing he wanted to find.
0: Right. There's no
1: eureka moment, nothing, completely silent. And yet, he found a cartouche allegedly
0: very suspicious. Ch- very suspicious. Now, these are painted on in okra, which yes. is a dye derived from vegetables. Uh, well, it's, it be- it's, it's iron oxide. Okay, iron oxide. Okay. Yep. So, would it would it not be possible to carbon date the okra cartouche in Wellington's chamber and elsewhere to see if it if it fits into that twenty five fifty BCE time period?
1: Yep. Well, this is the thing that I don't know if you recall the two German graduates from um, University in Germany, I think it was 2013, they took some, now um, well, illegally took some ochre paint from one of the um, hier- hieroglyphic signs, hieratic signs um, from Campbell's Chamber, not the cartouche, a much less significant um, sign had been painted onto one of the walls there. They took the ochre paint because sometimes what the ancient Egyptians would do is they would put, add honey or gum or fish oil to, because iron oxide, you can't carbonate iron oxide, it's not organic. But the ancient Egyptians would put an, or an organic binding agent like uh-huh. gum or honey or something like that to, to help bind the ochre paint. And uh, they hoped that they would be able to test the organic material in the ochre paint, but they didn't have sufficient
0: quantity
1: ah, um, to right. have it carbon, t- carbon Drat. Drat.
0: But All the, right. We, we, I've got to take a quick time out, Scott. We'll come back and okay. we'll like, discuss further. The Great Pyramid Hoax with Scott Creighton right here on The Conspiracy Show. Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We are back with Scott Creighton, engineer and host of the Alternative Egyptology Forum on AboveTopSecret.com and his latest book is The Great Pyramid Hoax, A Conspiracy to Conceal the True History of Ancient Egypt. Earlier, Scott, we were talking about the uh, the two German lads who uh, snuck into the chamber, I guess, and scraped away some of the iron oxide on the cartouche in hoping, they were hoping to carbon date it, but there wasn't enough binding material, gum or resin or honey, in order to obtain you know an accurate carbon dating. So, uh, that's a dead end. What else, though, about the cartouche Leads you to believe that Weiss v- forged it. You mentioned earlier that in his private notes in his journal, he wrote when he went into the Wellington Chamber, he was looking hoping to find the cartouche. he didn't find it, and then three years later, when it was published for public consumption, he claims all of a sudden that he found the cartouche in Wellington's chamber, which is which is suspicious. What else about the cartouche itself? Are there any inconsistencies with any of the symbols, for example?
1: Oh yeah, oh, absolutely. Absolutely, um, Richard. What you find, um, particularly in, in, right across, there was something like, um, I think it was about six cartouches found in all throughout these, these various chambers. And what you find is when you do an analysis of the actual signs used, because what you have to understand is that hieratic um, writing is just a hieratic script. It's basically just hieroglyphics that are painted as opposed to being carved okay? Hieroglyphics are carved, hieratic is painted or or written, okay? Now, what you find is that over time, at the beginning, hieratic script was very much like, you know, the actual hieroglyphics, but over time, the hieratic script changed, it evolved, it became ever more simplified for speed of writing. It was basically the everyday writing that the ancient Egyptians would use as this hieratic script, and as I said, over time, it would change, it would vary, and eventually it would come into what's known as demotic script which is basically bears no resemblance to hieroglyphics whatsoever. So we've got this this change and we know roughly when these signs evolved and changed from one into the other into the other. Now what you find when you look at the signs in these cartouches is that many of them are from dynasties that are much later, from the eleventh, 12th, or from about the eighth to the twelfth dynasties. You know that's long after the Fourth Dynasty. So there we have, you know, uh, you know, un- unless the ancient Egyptians, you know, had a time machine to get into the future to see what these signs would look like, you know, you know, uh, several hundred years down the road and come back. And you know, it's just it's just nonsense. Not only that, but you no. Know, so you've got anachronistic signs being used within the cartouche. You've also got the cartouches being Written um, horizontally, now the actual text is horizontal, whereas in the Fourth Dynasty, this text would have been written vertically.
0: That's a pretty, gla- you, that's a pretty glaring mistake.
1: Yes, absolutely. This is why I, you know, I see in the book, um, Richard, that, that, you know, the authorities must know these are fake. They have to know. They must know because that is so glaring and so obvious. But they say nothing. They say nothing, but they must know. And, in fact, I know that they know that they're fake because I've had Egyptologists email me personally, and I can't divulge who these Egyptologists are because, you know, know, I wouldn't put their their careers or their jobs, their their living in jeopardy, you know. But they have said to me, you're right. We know
0: they're fake. What about Vice's uh, team members, those that accompanied him? Did any of his... Uh, those that were, were part of his archaeological team, did they did they write journals? Did they talk about ab- about this? And is there, are there any clues there?
1: Well, what we have is we have um, his two main assistants were a guy called Raven and a guy called Hill, Raven and Hill.
0: <laughs> Great names.
1: Yep. Now these two guys um, uh, are, are mentioned by another guy called Humphreys Brewer. He was an eyewitness. To this forgery okay and this guy Humphreys Brewer was with um, this team in 1837 he ended up in Giza by accident he was there to work in a hospital it fell through didn't go ahead and he ended up working with vice and his team now we know this because this is one of the things that uh, Zechariah Sitchin uh, wrote in his um, journeys to the mythical past 2007 Um, A chap by the name of Walter Allen got in touch with uh, Zechariah and explained this to him, that his great-grandfather, Humphreys Brewer, had worked with Vice at the pyramids and saw this forgery taking place. So we've got that testimony that's been handed down, and he basically says that Mr. Raven and Mr. Hill were um, repainting some faint marks, but also
0: painting new marks. Ah, Aha. You know. That's so pretty have, damning. That's pretty damning stuff.
1: Yeah. So we have, we have an eyewitness as well, you know, from, you know, um, this Humphreys Brewer who saw Raven and Hill. But not only that, in Vice's journal, in his, not in his published book, because he's not going to put this kind of stuff in his published book. This guy Brewer isn't mentioned in his published book because he basically accused Vice of you know, um, this forgery. So Vice is not going to be writing about Humphreys Brewer. This is why this guy's name is missing in Vice's published account. But if you look at his private account, I've seen a few examples of what appears to be... Remember I said at the top of the programme, his handwriting is really, really difficult to read. But there, there does look like a few examples of the name Brewer being mentioned in his private notes. But in his private notes, he actually writes... He actually writes this, for Raven and Hill, you know, um, these are the marks, this is the cartouche that I want um, to be placed in Campbell's chamber.
0: That I want to be placed? That he wants Raven and Hill to place in Campbell's chamber. Well, (laughs) I mean, right there, that's an admission of guilt. It's it's in the
1: guy's diary. Now, it's not in his published book, of course. He's not going to put that in his published book.
0: Uh, I'm I'm surprised that his private journals survived the fire, that they weren't destroyed, um, because he's basically damned his, you know, it's pretty damning evidence.
1: Yeah, it's damning evidence, but the thing is, um, you know, you hold on to diaries or your personal stuff. You know, in 1837, you know, it's like maybe he did plan to get rid of it, maybe he did plan to, to burn these pages who knows, but maybe he died the day before he did it. You know, <laughs> the the point is the stuff did survive and um, it is pretty damning evidence um, from his um, private journals. But there's a whole load of other stuff from his private journals, Richard, which obviously are I are, are, are present in the book which showed that you know, this, this was a clear, a clear hoax, a clear fraud.
0: The Great Pyramid Hoax, the conspiracy to conceal the true history of ancient Egypt. Scott Creighton is with us, an engineer and host of the very popular Alternative Egyptology Forum on AboveTopSecret.com. Uh, now, I, um, several weeks ago I had a, a, a gentleman from um, Nexus magazine uh, who's a photographer, and he was, you know, this is neither here, it's not related to this topic, but it, I am going someplace, so bear with me. Uh, he wanted to present photographic evidence that he believes proved the lunar landings were a hoax. He said there's no way they could have taken those photos on the moon with a Hasselblad camera under these certain circumstances, uh, conditions and so forth. Well, he took his case to the Interplanetary Science Association or Council or whatever it's called in London. Is there sort of an equivalent... Egyptology-type association where you can go and present your your argument?
1: That's an interesting question. I've, uh, it's not something I've um, considered because it's not something I've ever actually come across. And, you know, I do a lot of research, an awful lot of research, and it's, it's really not something that um, I've, I've come across. I don't think there's a sort of... Um, um, Arbitration service, if you could call it that, for you know matters um, Egyptology, you know, so uh, probably not, Richard. I wouldn't, I wouldn't think so. Well, what about
0: what about publishing in a peer-reviewed archaeological journal?
1: Again, I think um, that's that's difficult because to do that, you need to be um, you need to be part of a you know, university, you need to be attached in some way to a university or or wherever. And, you know, my research is purely um, independent. I'm an independent researcher, not um, attached to any official academic body. Um, So I'm very much on the outside. And, you know, as I said, to be honest, I actually prefer that because it gives me the freedom um, to do things and go places where you know orthodox people really can't, you know.
0: But the orthodox think, archeo- the orthodox Egyptologists, the, the, your critics, have they come after you? Have they tried to argue that? Uh, are they trying to attempt to find some fault in your in your theory?
1: Um, well, not yet, because the book's only um, just out. Um, uh, came out, uh, I think, the fifteenth of December, so it's fairly, you know, it's still very new. And, um, I'm basically waiting for the backlash, Richard, and it will come. Oh, yeah. But, you know, <laughs> I have the evidence to back up what I'm saying. The book, there's a ton of evidence. I mean, I've only scratched the surface tonight in our discussion here. There's a ton of evidence which shows that, um, you know, I'm talking about a chemical analysis as well. Not of the actual paint marks, but the, there's other chemical analysis which has been done, which, show categorically that those marks are fake you know we've got the journal we've got the eyewitness we've got a, you know that's just, as i said a few things read the book there's an absolute ton of evidence anachronistic signs you know from the future you know it's, it's, it's just a complete mess and as i said egyptology they must know and i do know they know because i've had egyptologists email me saying yes you're right and we do know
0: but they're afraid to go public
1: they don't want to go public because, you know, for them it's a the way I, the way I describe it it's a it's a convenient untruth for them. It helps them maintain the status quo.
0: Well, it that's helps- the, that's key. The sta- the status quo. Uh, in other words, if something doesn't fit the the timeline of our our ancient past, then it has to be discarded, and one one has to wonder. Uh, given this hoax, and I think you've made uh, a a pretty compelling argument i mean one could almost say case closed that vice's um, cartouche is a forgery, and therefore the entire uh, historical context of the great pyramid pyramid is thrown into question. Um, one has to wonder then how much how much how many other things in terms of uh, ancient sites and construction dates and the dating of certain civilizations, are also thrown open to question.
1: Well, yeah, um, <laughs> exactly. You know, this, this place is you know, a big, big question. This reopens the case of the Great Pyramid. You know, who built it? Who really built it? And when was it really built? And also, the why? Why was it done? You know, so that this evidence you know, pulls a rug um, from... This is what Graham Hancock said the other day in a, in a tweet... The evidence in this book, it just pulls a rug from under the conventional narrative completely away. And, you know, the house of cars that was built there, you know, it just just crumbles. But, you know, you look at people like um, Virginia Steen McIntyre. You know, she's been um, arguing for about the last 20 or 30 years about a site in Mexico. You know, they've found, um, you know, uh, tools there you know, in, in the the layers of Earth that date these tools to 250,000 years ago. But, you know, science, no, that's impossible. That, that just has to be wrong. You know, they're not even accepting their own science. You know, it's crazy. And then I think about 10 years ago, they went back to the site and ran the same tests and, and more tests and different tests and got the same result. Yeah, 250,000 years ago, there was people in Mexico, you know, we're not supposed to have crossed a land bridge until, what, about 19,000, 20,000 years ago. You know, so... It just. But science, <laughs> when they find something that contradicts the conventional narrative, the conventional chronology timeline, it, they just throw they just,
0: it... Well, this is what it, people... just
1: doesn't make it through the knowledge filter.
0: This is what people need to understand about science. All fields of science. It is very, very political. And yes. obviously... Uh, the field of Egyptology perhaps more so than many other fields. Scott, congratulations on uh, the Great Pyramid hoax keep doing what you're doing uh, and uh, perhaps in your next book do you, do you think that maybe you'll you'll uh, uh, start to look into maybe when the Great Pyramid at Giza was constructed and why?
1: Yeah, well, I've actually done that already <laughs> that's in my previous
0: book The Secret
1: ah, Chamber of Osiris
0: Alright, now i got to backtrack and read that one Alright <laughs> Scott, thank you so much for this
1: It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Richard. I've enjoyed our our chat tonight.
0: Likewise, my friend. Thank you. All right, my website is strangeplanet.ca. That's a landing page. It takes you to all my different projects. Please say hello on Twitter, at Richard Serrett. And as always, now more than ever, follow the truth.